Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are definitely not experts on. Jordan has shows all across the country. Go see those. He just did Adelaide. I heard it went very well. I have shows weekly in Sydney, monthly in Melbourne and Newcastle. Come along to those. And uh, this podcast is sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. It's a very stressful time right now. Inflation. <laughs> other stuff. I'm sure it's stressful for everyone. Get some CBD oil from Crush Organics. Use the code Neil for 40% off. They've got CBD oil. They've got gummies. They've got bath bombs. They've got CBD oil for your pets. So uh, if you are uh, stressed about the possibility of World War Three. CBD oil is the cure-all for that. Make it go away. Putin just had some of that, he wouldn't want to invade Ukraine. He'd feel very relaxed. And if NATO had some of that too, you know, that's how we solve all the world's problems. Go to crushorganics.com with a K and use the code NEIL for 40% off. Okay. Jordan, how you doing? Good, good. It is... The solution solicited by drug addicts, isn't it, every time? If everyone just took mushrooms, would it be a more understanding place? I wonder if it would. You know, like, I, I really can't imagine. I think that what would happen is world leaders would have a trip. They'd just be like, yeah, yeah, it's mind expanding. It still doesn't really solve these huge macro problems I have to deal with. But it was, it was nice to walk around in the forest for a bit. Yeah, it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't really solve the supply chain crisis. No, it? no, of course not. Not like, really. I don't know, man. Yeah, man. If we all just took mushrooms, man. Nah, not really. Man. I, think, <laughs> I think the world is good with 10% of people taking psychedelics and mushrooms. That's about it. Yeah. Anything It more? helps you not understand really. people's perspectives in a podcast. Podcasters should take it. That's true. So basically, if you're listening, don't take it, but we should take it. <laughs> hey. I remember my little deal with you. You wait until you have your quarter-life crisis. Then you can have it once. Yeah. Don't I'm turn into one of those trippers in the mountains. Still uh, am yet to uh, try any psychedelics, actually. You don't need it yet, Neil. There'll come a yet. point when you do. What? What's some sort of life event that will mean I need to... You know what it is? You know what it is? I'm telling you this. Been there, done that. When you get that feeling... Right, when you feel like your life is becoming cyclical and repetitive. Yeah, and you can just see yourself on the track and you can't see a way out of it. Right. At that point, you either need to go to a lot of Eastern meditation retreats or just take the shortcut like all Westerners do <laughs> and get wet. <laughs> mm, mm. But I think that like, I think you've naturally sort of just moved and you're exploring like, and you kneel by yourself, so you don't need it yet. What do you but mean it will exploring come. a new kneel? What does that mean? Well, it's just like, okay, over the last couple of years, your content is shifting. You're keeping the old stuff, but you're like, you're moving into other territory. Sure. And it's ref- it's just because you upload so much, so you can just see. It's the same thing that I'm it's actually what I want to talk about today, but it's about you can see that your mind is moving into another stage of life, you know? It just... It kind of naturally happens, but I think at some point, and this is the thing that always really scared me about sports commentators, political commentators, just commentators in general. I couldn't fucking imagine just talking about one subject for the rest of my life. It's you, so scary to me. You don't think there's something to perfecting the art in a very specific way? So if you are a NRL commentator, for example, you can always be bettering your craft and there's something fulfilling about looking back 
five years and, and listening to yourself and then hearing yourself and thinking, I've improved, even if it's just 0.5%, I've improved. Yeah, that would be. However, it wouldn't be fulfilling enough for me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. You what's, your next, uh, what's your next big journey? I'm moving into history, man. Yeah? Yeah. I'm okay. really into it at the well, moment. I suppose you can definitely relate that to politics. Exactly. You can just And the how. thing is that you actually just get the thing that I'm constantly searching for anyway. Again, you got any books that ever gave you any red pills? Yes, I'm talking to you, the audience. Tell me what they are. Don't want to hear subtle art of not giving a fuck. Heard it too many times. But anything else, that's fine. That's a good one. You want to hear that? Yeah, I do. You want to hear everything's fucked everything's as well. Fucked. Yeah. Uh, that one's even better. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, because he perfected his art. Yeah. Which? What's the next one? Uh, Get fuck. fuck, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just dumber. Get fucked. Jesus Christ. If that's the third. That's the Australian version. Mm. Get fucked. And then the fourth is no, Get fucked, like cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything's cunted. Why don't you fuck off? Yeah, yeah everything's <laughs> cunted. Why don't you fuck off? That actually can be the secret to a meaningful and happy life. Being able to stand up for yourself, having boundaries, yeah. and saying, why don't you fuck off? Yeah, especially because it's used plural, meaning that you're telling the group to fuck off. You're going your own way, which is one of the main tenets of self-help. The so ultimate sigma move. Why don't you fuck off? Fuck Aussie sigma male. You're right. That's definitely that's the, that is that is as okay. Bogan Sigma. That's how. That's their catch cry. Hmm. Why don't you fuck, fuck off? off? Leave me alone, can. Speaking of which, we've got a few shout outs here before we get into the meat of this podcast, which is going to be what you want to talk about art. Mm-hmm. It's very broad. I like it. Okay, so first we are going to get to some pod, uh, podcast shout outs. Just shout-outs in general, actually. Um, if you would like to send in a shout-out, go to neilkohacker.com slash podcasts. And we also have questions available, topics available, and all the money from the subscriptions goes straight to charity. I also want to add, if you'd like to book me and my improv partner, Dan, and our DJ, Max, we're a trio now, for yeah. a private event, go to neilkohacker.com slash events. We're looking to do a few more private events. We'll do birthday parties. We'll do work functions. We'll do... Corporate team bonding exercises. Fuck. What a way to get the team together, feeling confident. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You're braver than me. I'll give you that. We will it's actually, a really fucking 90s move. I, it's we will it's do good it. money. Yeah, exactly. It's good money, but like it's <laughs> the and, most and hostile good. audience you can imagine. Yeah, we've so far done a 21st, which we did last year. Amazing. So yeah, much that fun. would be good. And we did a uh, performance in a recruitment company. I was shitting myself. We walked in there. No stage, no mics, nothing. We're in our little <laughs> like matching T-shirts. Neil and Daniel. Uh, and everyone in the office was just sort of gathered around. Uh, and it went really well. Yeah? It was really good. Yeah. Well, that's not how I expected that story to go. Fuck. Really okay. Fun. That's not bad. There's a lot of corporates in their mid-30s. They're all British. So, shout out to, uh, I think it was. Were you allowed to I, swear? I might not be able to say the company name, but it was a good company. A Are you allowed company. to swear? Yeah, they let us swear. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, we did a lot of uh, jokes and my running joke was like, oh, don't tell HR we said that. That, That's dude, the vibe. You're playing That'll to the home ground, I'll yeah. tell you that. That'll give you a little uh, insight into the vibe. All right, so this one, uh, we've got a shout out here from John. Hi, Neil, Jordan and team. There's no team, it's just us. Actually, Steve, 
Good yeah, on you, Steve. Team. Uh, massive fan supporter of both you guys this year. I'm involved in the Shitbox Rally Autumn 2021. I don't know how old this podcast is, but <laughs> I'm hoping that it's 2022. <laughs> 2021 driving from Wollongong to Mackay via Inland Dirt Roads. It would be over 5,000 kilometers driving in Shitbox cars under $1,000. I was wondering if you can shout out our donation page to help us raise money. Shitbox. Uh, you know what? Let me check that that's still... Uh, going and that it's not actually already occurred. Come on, let's see if we didn't miss the boat on this one. No, we did not. Didn't we? Right. So it says that it's still, no, it's still going ahead. It says Shipbox Rally 2021, but then in brackets March 2022. So I'm assuming what's happened there is that because of COVID... You know what? We'll keep this in the podcast. Why not? Well, it seems like it's going along. We did We're keeping five this. seconds of research. We're keeping this uh, very, very raw, very authentic. Yeah. No? Yes? What you see is what you get. This is not a very old uh, email, but it is just the twenty, the shitbox rally autumn 2021. So there you go. Driving from Wollongong to Mackay via inland dirt roads works out to be over 5,000 kilometers driving in shitbox cars. Under a thousand dollars. I was wondering if you can shout out our donation page to help us raise money. It's a cause close to heart. As last year, I lost my uncle to leukemia, and my mother months earlier had a tumor taken from the back of her brain. At one stage, they were beds apart in the same ICU ward. I also have a work colleague currently recovering from cancer in his tongue slash jaw, and about to start radiation therapy for that. Whoa. Okay. So for humor, also. Our car is a typical Aussie shitbox Mitsubishi Magna 2001 Executive. POV pack wagon. Currently, it has a flat battery full of spiders, ants, and dirt from the surrounding trees and sweating oil from many orifices in the engine. Uh, and then they've got... Jesus, that is all a the shit links here. box. So, uh, www.shitboxrally.com.au, autumn22.shitboxrally.com.au slash we-don't-know-yet. <laughs> now, look, all these links will be in the YouTube description and the uh, audio description. And then there's a Facebook uh, page there as well. So shitboxrally.com.au. Go and look into that. That sounds like a very good cause. Good on you, John. Thank you for all the support and uh, all the best um, with everything going on in your family. You are a trooper. Yeah. Good and all you. the best with the race. It sounds like you will need it. <laughs> yes. Wollongong to Mackay. Jesus. That's a, that's long. Yeah, it's not Wollongong to Sydney. That's for no. sure. No, and through inland dirt roads. Couldn't pick a better way, really. <laughs> Sounds fun. We should go. I am not doing that. Do <laughs> <laughs> a podcast live from the uh, shitbox room. <laughs> All right. Well, different like strokes, said, eh? If you got a if you got a uh, shout out for us, neilkahacker.com slash podcast. All right, Jordan. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about art. Yeah, pretty much it just comes from this. And just let me take this off because I'm getting sweaty. But oh, poor guy. It's a struggle. What was I going to start this with? That's right. I want you to think, while I'm just setting up the parameters here, of what you're actually striving for when you do art, which we are actually converse to the name of this podcast or the subtitle, if you will. 
I think we actually are qualified to talk about this one. It actually is really our profession if you dig about it. But I was asking my other friends on the Up Late podcast what their definition of art is. And Ali, you've met him before, he's an extremely yes. heady man, just thinks about shit like Karl Marx and Adam Smith and all those kinds of folk, right? Like really just academic nerds throughout history should be in the UN listening to someone speaking in French with his little earpiece in, in a dark, musky room with hundreds of other boring people sitting there, right? So like when he does poetry, which is his artistic outlet, uh, it's always just about systemic things. And it reflects into his life, which is he has that same demeanor of all bureaucrats, which is nothing really phases them. And they're always just mildly sad all their life. That's that's a bureaucrat. That's the demeanor of one. I was asking, Miss, Miss was saying. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So is his art a, a representation and articulation of that inner world of gloominess? It shrouded in that. There is that emotional layer to it. And the message that he's always just trying to convey is these kind of issues that humanity's trapped in, that there's ne- no one's ever going to escape out of it. It's just that's how the system's set up. So it's an abstract representation of the human condition. That's Not a, even the human condition. Would you say that? Created a- human systems. Like what? Well, you know... Okay, for example, like the one that I'm obviously going to use, how the press works. Oh, okay. That is a yeah. systemic issue. There's there's nothing that any one person can really do to break out of that. If you get rid of Murdoch, another will take his place, you know? Yeah. It, it's because that's the way it's set up. Um, so he's always just trying to explain that in his poetry. When it comes to Miss, he just makes surf punk music and his music is extremely simple. And I was asking him, why do you only have a line in your songs? And he was just like, I just like the beauty of the the repetitiveness of it and just went on to some wafty answer, as he always gives, that doesn't really actually say anything specific. And it suddenly hit me. What he's doing is he's trying to capture an emotion. That's what he's doing with every one of his songs. He's trying to capture a mood and that's all he cares about. And then as soon as I said that to him, he started nodding and he goes, yeah, 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 that's what I'm doing. When it came to me, I realized that, and this is the thing that like angers me about listening to Ali. It's not that I, like I'm good friends with him, obviously, but I, I, we always get trapped in this back and forward. And what it came from with me is that I don't, really like thinking about systems. I like thinking about heroes and villains. I like people that kind of, in spite of the odds, gave it a go, you know? I am actually like, I I like that mythic, heroic figure and I like pointing out who a villain is and I think that it's better for humanity if more people just have hero figures in their life that they can sort of emulate, you know, And, and villain figures that they can move away from. And then I started thinking about all of the stuff that I produce and it always has that flavor to it. There's always a good guy and a bad guy. And that is really how my brain works. This just goes to self-help. This goes to the way that I interpret politics. When I interpret politics, I, you know, obviously I've got my moments where I say, you know, this is a bigger issue and this is part of the machine or something like that. But I do find 
the character in that machine trying to steer it somewhere else as being noble. And I find someone that's just like, oh, I'm just going to let it be as it is. So if it's not me, it's someone else. I, I find that behavior reprehensible, you know? And then I started thinking about it and I was like, fuck, you know what? And this is the whole thing. Everybody, when they're talking about art, scrambles to their art teacher in year eight saying, you know, art is an expression of your inner world. They'll think of some outside definition of what art is. And that might be useful for something. But I think in terms of getting at your core, if you identify what you're personally trying to do with art, I think you get a better glimpse of how you're actually interpreting the world. Because, dude, that is really at the core a way that I interpret the world. I think that if someone is like a hero, I, I will fucking defend them to the hilt. And if I think that someone's a villain, I, I won't give them a fucking leg up. Like, I'm not one of those people that tries to see gray areas and thing. I'm, I'm really just like, no, that guy's fucking trying. So you forgive their shortcomings. Like, I hate it when someone tries to tear down someone that's trying to achieve something, you know, like that, that really angers me. Um, and I think that that's the whole thing about like the way that you see art. It's actually a reflection of how you're interpreting reality because you just kind of look to give credit to the year eight art teacher. Yeah. It is an expression of your inner world. And that's, what's really interesting. And then when I think about that with my latest stand-up show, the feedback that I got is everybody coming back afterwards and they kept saying this and I've never heard it before. They, I got this over and over again, people just being like, you could tell a bit of your soul was in that. And that's what you should be striving for when you make art. But anyway. How would you define soul? I think I would define soul and I was – thinking about this a lot because there's, there's a difference of a definition. There's a difference between like putting a lot of passion into what you're doing, which I guess is just a lot of energy. Putting a lot of energy into what you're doing is passion, I suppose, right? Soul, I think, is a sentimental part of you, something that's like deeply, deeply connected to your fabric and, and being like, that's me. The emotional underpinnings of your otherwise rational faculties. Yeah, it's it's a bit of the, yes, but there's also like, that's that's an element of it. But I think it's also the the history that comes with that as well. The only way I can say is, is just like, what makes you, you? If you're able to convey that on stage or if you're able to convey that in a picture or a poem or something like that, I think that's where like true art shines. But I think it's kind of hard to get to that level. And I only think I honestly achieved it in this stand-up show. I mean, obviously there's there's your, your fingerprints are on everything you do, but I think this was the next stage. And it really was because there's just, you know, it was about Rome and I've got a really Freudian connection to that because it was just my you know, inner child's interest or whatever. But anyway, given that that's the context, what do you think you're trying to do with your art? That's a big question. See? Yeah. It is, hey. I've never actually thought uh, at any length about that. 
What am I trying to do? I think definitely a large component of it is trying to uh, articulate truths that are universally known but have not been expressed in a concise and emotionally stimulating way. That's true, but I think that's kind of just like, that's the art form of comedy. What, you, yeah, what you've actually yeah. really accurately described comedy as an art. But what are you trying to express with that art? That's the question. Because there'd be some way that you're interpreting the world that's uniquely you. Like that. that's what you've described there, I guess, is the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, apologies to anyone listening to this. I'm just, I'm just thinking here. I don't. Yeah, don't switch off though. Uh, you keep listening to this dead air in the car. What am I trying to say? It's, it's, it's easier for other people to actually see it. I think it probably is. What would you uh, say if you, if that same question was asked of you, but of my art? All right, the, the, the immediate one that comes to to mind immediately is culture. That's definitely a lot. A, part a lot of, it. of your yeah. work is culturally focused. Definitely. It's focused on culture, tribalism, morality. Didactic, a lot of it. A lot of the films are warnings, if you will, seeing the uh, comedy, but the dark comedy in a world I'm perceiving. Yeah, but they're a warning based on culture. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the books that you read are culturally focused. I'm trying to think of something that isn't actually probably linked. You love sociology. You are even when you're talking about men and women, it's not like there's some biological element to it, sure. But it definitely is linked to cultural differences. There is cultural differences between men and women and obviously yeah, they're, they're, wrong, they're, yeah. you know these are linked to you know chemicals in the brain or whatever there's th there's that element to it but they they form into cultures so it does make a lot of sense why you chose comedy as an art it definitely does because if you want to if if you want to express culture there's no better way to do it. No better way to do it. I mean, look, there's other art forms that can, but I think tragedy naturally leans to the experience of the individual hmm. and comedy naturally leans towards the experience of society. It's like what you said. It's You get the laugh when you've got that you can relate 
well, that's one of the ways of achieving a laugh. It's a tried and true method, you know. It's one of the main ways to do it. Hmm. But it's interesting to think about why the fuck are you so interested in culture? Because that's where I think it came to me where I started thinking, because recently someone pointed this out about me. It's just like I have this mind where like if I figure out, if I think that someone's a villain, like I can think of, you know, half an hour of reasons and they're all valid obviously but it's because i'm looking at it through that frame of just like why this person's one of the worst fucking human beings who have ever lived right but if i decide someone's a hero i do the exact opposite i'm just, I'll, I'll come up with like you know half an hour of like why that person is great and it's like it's it's strange that they were saying that you, you, in a way you're actually you have a stronger belief system than the actual person themselves that's what this person was saying to me anyway is that they were able to achieve more in their life basically because i had just decided no you're a good person and i kept like i was more convinced that they were a good person than they were you know and it shows something about you it's the same thing it's just like i am fighting a tide like if, if i look at my work i have created a culture to my credit i've got to say that doesn't actually fucking exist really anywhere in the world which is that culture i was talking about of like dude just you know make fun of like retards and black people if you want you should still have public hospitals you know like that 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 is almost non-existent globally maybe jonathan pye is doing it maybe there's very few people that aren't taking that whole political package in this day and age, yeah. Sure. In this day and age. In this day and Definitely. age. Definitely. But the interesting thing is, like, that's all just a side product of the way that I see the world. So, like, I'm just wondering. That's the big question here. Why are you interested in culture? So, would you say that, know. like, I'm putting words in your mouth here, no, but would no, you I, say that that's what you're, because from an outsider's perspective, it looks major, like that's it, what you're trying to do. It's, a, it's certainly a major facet of what I am focused on and I suppose I see more I think you focus very specifically on that individual and their traits and I tend to see the individual more so as an avatar of where I maybe differ from the modern consensus is people see individuals as an avatar of uh, aspects that they aren't necessarily in control of so their race or their gender whereas i see individuals as an avatar or representation of a given system of behavioral and moral norms mm. and that and beliefs yes and beliefs and that's where i think my uh, focus on culture comes from because i think culture is really the bedrock of how people act in the world and then you can extrapolate from that and say culture is essentially what builds a society and what builds a tribe. And I'm very interested in tribalism, particularly today in the age of social media. Well, hang on. Why? Why now? Well, well, I'm living in it. That's definitely the first answer I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come to there. But... Uh,
Because there's definitely this is the thing about a Neil Cole Hatcast sketch, right? It's like sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I like it. It's funny. It just it just feels a bit weird <laughs> you talking to me, talking about me like this. But it's funny, I, and it's and it's also very endearing. I like it. Thank you. Well, I think yes, but also I think that if you're able to like get at the nut of it, it'll it'll be very beneficial to you. Yeah. As well as anyone at home, you should probably be thinking about this your own way. Let's just move this mic a little bit so we can see that beautiful model face of yours there. <laughs> Thank you. Keep it nice <laughs> down under that sexy chin. All right, there we go. What? Okay, where, there's, why there's do you think you're so elicit. fixated on heroes and villains? Where do you? Where does that dichotomy come from? Do you think in your early life there were clear heroes and villains and then you see the world in that? Well, that's definitely just an imprint of my mum. My mum is one of those people where she will go broke for someone that she deems is a good person. Like she she will empty her bank account for someone that she, you know, some charity or something like that. she'll, She'll give it all away. She's an extreme version of me. But she definitely has that. And she was incredible at it. She really does put me to shame. If she has an axe to grind with someone, she will rip that person's soul to fucking shreds. Like I've I've been the benefactor of it many a time. I think that's actually why I've got like a thicker skin than the average person when it comes to getting attacked politically. It's not that I'm like basically when I get attacked in terms of like articles or, or attack pieces or whatever, I'm kind of just sitting there thinking like, okay, I've got another fucking target. But like, I think a lot of other people kind of actually are just like, oh, oh you know, and wilt away. But can I say, is that a, what, what, how would you define thick skin? Because some would say if you respond with furor and uh, if you respond with aggression like that, it's not necessarily. Oh yeah. Um, uh, exhibiting a thick skin there it's actually quite reactionary whereas the yes. person who just says eh, that's life some people are going to be angry and there's nothing you can do well i would say that those people are kind of like more buddhist i suppose and they can just live and let live sure uh i think thick skin is kind of just like it doesn't affect you at all but i would say that lowest of the lowest those wilting willows like your nicole flints or something that's like no someone online told me to shut up oh i need to stop laws like and and just acts like a massive victim about it right sure (laughs) yeah yeah uh it's been very interesting observing that phenomenon and how much the brand of that particular party has changed and i really credit you more than anyone for that because i think uh something you said uh, over a year ago now is that a lot of people in particularly the Liberal Party have a thing called school captain's syndrome. I don't know if you coined that term, but mm. I can see that now. I mm. can see that mm. these are people who probably grew up middle to upper middle class and not, weren't necessarily coddled as such, but uh, were always the one trying to appease the teacher, mm-hmm. trying to appease, I suppose, the authority mm-hmm. in any given environment. Mm. And uh, what comes with that is uh, expecting an authority figure to uh, make that environment uh uh, nice and comfortable for you. Yep. And that's where I think the, the I suppose the lack of uh, thick skin comes from. 
Yeah, they're fucked people. Like, I really can't think of anyone worse as a leader than a school captain because what do they do? They make a couple of showy speeches that everyone has to listen to that are fucking boring. Well, they don't okay. do anything. They're conscientious and they are probably quite intelligent, but they haven't sort of strayed from the given path and they haven't had to be an individual and really fight for themselves. They've, no. they've followed the system, they've followed the authority and they have probably worked extraordinarily diligently towards that, but there's something to be said about making your own way in the world and overcoming But isn't that adversity. a terrible cra- character trait for a leader? It's just like, here's the trodden path. I made it in the trodden path. I win. I studied the hardest. Well, there's something to be said about uh, you can make the argument that if they've sort of acceded to the traditional norms of a given cultural system, then... And they've excelled at that. There's there's an, an inherent talent that comes with that. But I also do agree that they're not necessarily true free thinkers. Well, that's the whole thing. I don't think I, anyone's I, a free thinker really, but they haven't spent a great amount of time thinking for themselves. No. And I think that how I would define leadership anyway is having a clear vision of where something should go and inspiring people to be like, let's go there. Whereas if you're just sitting there and being like, I've got the badge. Everybody, look at this badge. I'm the prefect. I'm the prefect, everybody. That's your fucking goal. Your goal was the badge. And then the goal is after that to just maintain it for as long as possible from, as you say, an authority figure, a.k.a. lobby groups. Sorry, anyway, we're getting... we're getting. That's a, very, that's a great way of putting it. It's interesting. We're getting... Uh, yeah, okay. We're uh, getting sidetracked from this, though, but yeah, go, go on. No, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so interested in culture. I think it's been very relevant to me. And where it does actually come down to, say, my, my point of difference being of, I suppose, a slightly different culture to the norm growing up and being made much more aware of that compared to other people. And then the men and women thing, I suppose, I, I, I think I, I just had a lot of struggles in, in that realm of my life. And there were a lot of collective narratives and and, uh, agreed-upon wisdom that I definitely started to question and it it, it made me hyper-focused on it and wanting to discover things and wanting to unpack this topic as much as I possibly can, similarly with culture. Damn. Dude, that actually makes heaps of sense. So really what was happening is... You knew that your culture wasn't the dominant culture from where you were. You were in a culture and it was sort of alien. And so as a result of everybody else just kind of accepting everything as normal, you were always seeing... you were sort of forced to see both the, the, the positives and deficiencies of both cultures, like the culture that was represented at home and the culture that was represented around like your neighborhood slash school. Yeah, I think that that's a, good, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. So actually you were, that's the whole thing. It's just, yeah, from my perspective, I never really, never really thought about it because it's just, you know, why would I fucking need to? I had to think about class a lot. But I never had to think about culture. So that makes a lot of sense. And so as a result of that, that's that's sort of your prism 
of the world. And so whenever you're thinking about something, it just naturally goes through that filter of what's the, as you're saying, right? Like you, when you're saying white chicks or something like that, you're condensing that down into a character and you're condensing all of the tropes of that culture into that one person. Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of hyperbolic personification of a particular culture within a two-minute video. You could yeah. say something like that. Yeah. And also I'm adding, I'm sort of subtly adding my commentary on that culture in there as well. Yes. So it's a, it's a caricature, but it's a caricature with, I suppose, my brushstroke on it. And it's a sort of whittled down caricature of a much larger, expansive cultural system. Yes. Yes. And so that's what you're trying to hang on. So, all right. So that's kind of, I guess, the, the frame of where you're getting with it. What are you trying to accomplish with it? I think part of it is commentary and criticism, but also praise for a given culture that I may have a fondness for. Really, that's the core of a lot of satire, isn't it? It's cultural criticism. I think that's maybe why I'm so passionate about anything or anyone that's trying to restrict artistic freedom and freedom of speech because that's a large part of my voice and maybe my power in the world. It's it's the ability to criticise and to criticise culture, actually. Mm. Mm. And because that's so conflated now with racism, that's why I think I've taken a very different stance than what many would potentially expect wait why for the last bit because culture because being a criticizing a given culture is now so closely linked to discrimination and sort of yeah. being hateful yeah and that's why i think i'm so fervently against any other cultural code or political code that's trying to restrict the ability for an artist to say certain things. Mm, mm. Because sense? if you can't, if I can't fully if, articulate, if you can't, because you, you're seeing race as an element of the culture. I don't even see, well, I, such a cliche. I think race is virtually meaningless. It's culture. That's really at play. Right. Exactly, right, yeah. okay, yes. I know I'll say things like, oh, black people and brown people like this, white people like this. It's culture. But what about an accent, for instance? Would you say that the accent is cultural or cultural. racial? You'd say it's cultural. Definitely. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, look at me. I have an Australian accent. Yeah. Yeah. So, if there's... But see, this is the interesting thing about it because really what you're saying is, and it shows more of your frame of the world because, okay, you, you're, you're, you're against... You're against the, the legal limitation of speech, definitely. 
And the cultural limitation of speech. Exactly. Exactly. And cultural limitation, I think, almost always would come first. Because it seems like it's been on the internet for 15... To me, a big reason why the Liberals are changing, one, the the big, big reason, because it's the way that I see the world, right, is just like their financial, their, like, grasp on power is shifting and so they've turned into little bitches and be like actually i don't like free speech anymore because they don't have control over free speech anymore there's definitely that element to it but uh, you also say you know scott morrison walking around with the aboriginal tie and all that kind of shit and like dude could you imagine john howard wearing an aboriginal tie it would never fucking happen it's like that is a cultural shift and it's happened because the internet is becoming so like as you're pointing out, like they're just seeing everything through race and sexism and all this kind of stuff. So that is like frames of the world that they have to navigate through now. And so now when they're trying to sell that, instead of they they might have back in the day said like, oh, we're shutting down free speech because of terrorism or something like that. Now they're just saying, we're shutting it down because free speech is mean to women. That's what they're saying now. So I was like that th- that cultural sh- that cultural frame was there first. So essentially what you're saying and you're kind of fucking right. You're right that like once there's a cultural once once a culture's in place like that definitely does shape laws and economics and what Massive. they prioritize Massive. and all that kind of shit. It shapes uh everything. To me it's actually the building blocks of of one, the society, but the individual as well. You can take two very different people. Maybe they have certain psychological predispositions and, and, and sort of genetic underpinnings, but you put those two people in two different cultural environments and they're going to turn out to be vastly, vastly different people. Mm. Mm. And you can run that experiment across multiple cultures with, with you know every permutation of possible human being with their genetic makeup and that is what the world is Mm. the world is just a giant experiment of culture Mm. Mm. you know they say the american experiment is various states well competing i mean they're, they're they're unified under the banner of that federation but they're competing in the sense that the states state rights are so deftly important to the american consciousness because they uh, they move the country forward. The different the different uh, directions that a, a state may go in is ultimately what is going to create the whole American experiment. And then within the state, the the sort of individual there can go their own way. Well, I see the whole just human existence as a just a giant computational experiment of multitudes of individuals in you know multitudes of culture that's why everyone got interested in politics in 2016 sure and they made it fucking cultural sure and all those cultures are continuously competing to grasp as many of those individuals as possible they fucking are they are the the cultures themselves are almost self-interested they're like a virus in that there will be ones that tend to succeed more so than others. And then it's very interesting to me to analyse why that may be. 
Let me read you some of them. Where are you going? Here. I was thinking of some point to bring this up because it was like, I don't know, I already talked about it on my self-help channel, but there's like a, this is, again, because this is just what I'm obsessed with at the moment, but it, it's the Stratagecon, right? It's like a soldier's field manual from the 8th century under the Byzantines. And it really does show why they were so much more successful than all the other medieval states because the average soldier could read. So they had a basic understanding of military tactics that had worked in the past and why it's important for you to set up your camp in a certain way and like why it's important to conceal your weapons and these kinds of things, right? It's all in here. It's like a fascinating read. It's really, it's Europe's The Art of War. That's what it is because it's like a very wow. secret, sneaky book because they weren't a confident army by the 8th century. They were an army that had to do a lot of things of like pretend that you're a baggage train of traders and then when the enemy comes close, you just take out your bows and just shoot them there and then just run into the hills. Like it was a basically the way to think about their army at that point was they were sort of like if the US were the Viet Cong so they were like an imperial power that had money and resources, but they also had to revert to guerrilla war because of how competitive medieval Europe was, right? Mm. But like this fucking blew my mind that it started with this. This is a soldier's manual. Like this is designed to tra train people to kill other people, right? And it starts with... Let word and deed be guided by the Holy Trinity, our God and Saviour, the steadfast hope and assurance of divine assistance, who directs important and beneficial undertakings to a favourable conclusion. Then, so it starts with a prayer. Then it says, this is, it says, the most important thing for a general is, first we urge upon the general that his most important concern be the love of God and justice. Building on these, he should strive to win the favour of God without which it is impossible to carry out any plan, however well devised it may seem, or to overcome any enemy, however weak he may be thought. For all things are ruled by the providence of God, a providence which extends even to the birds and the fishes. A helmsman now, even the best, finds that his skill is useless when the winds are not blowing favourably, but when he has them with him, he can also put his skill to use. He will have no difficulty in doubling the ship's run. So too is it with a good general." Armed with the favour of God. Uh, sorry, he must be armed with the favour of God. And I was thinking about that and it was the first time that I was just like, that, first of all, I was just like, that's fucking beautiful. That that's like, that's a general. That's that's what the general's belief was. Like he, he, he and everyone there thought that they were fighting for God's will. And they thought that it was imperative first to be on God's side, e.g. that they were doing it for a noble and just reason. Now, obviously, people will say, like, you know, it didn't play into the world. Like, and, and you know, people had their own selfish interests and all that kind of stuff. And, yes, that's obviously true. But it's like, Jesus, that is such... That is such a different culture to ours. That was, it was the first thing that I remember thinking when I thought about that. It's just like, p 
people back then, I think, were a lot purer than they are now. Like, if that's how a general thought. Define pure. I think that our, I think that our, if, if I'm being really honest, you know how you were talking about sexual disparity before. I was talking about my uh, talking to my editor about this, and you know how they're just saying that women just aren't finding men, and they're going to the age of being barren without having kids now because they can't find the right man, mm. and men will just fuck around with as many women as they can and. It's it's all indicators to me that we are a much like our culture is unbelievably selfish, like really self-absorbed. They're not doing it for any other purpose than like instant gratification or in the woman's standards of just like I don't know a status boost or something like that. It's it's almost as if our culture has just been like, oh okay, your natural inclination is to be. Is to is to want like an increase in status. Your natural inclination is to have sex with a lot of women. Here you go. Here's an app for that. Um, y- y- you want status and stuff like that. Okay, we'll just market it to you. A bunch of uh, you know Netflix shows about strong females kicking ass in the corporate world. You know, like they they're playing into those urges. Right. So it's virtuous to climb the corporate hierarchy, regardless of whatever that company may be doing, and. Yeah, as long as you're at the top. Yeah. As long as you're at the top. Because the enemy is, well, men or not. Not, not, not even that, it's just men. you. It's, it's, it's loosely defined, abstract patriarchy. And you are then an avatar. You are a virtuous avatar fighting against that patriarchy by climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, just by virtue of you getting a promotion, you've done something noble. Hmm. There's a difference there. You know, like the the... What we're setting is is like that just wouldn't fucking fly today. That's not happening today. Well, not that anything to do with God wouldn't be flying today. There's nothing. For there's a this kind of like ilk of the population with that. Like, because I think this is the way to think about it, right? Like, he's a general. Yeah, he's like the top of the top. Uh huh. Could topple an emperor if he wanted to, probably. And yet. He's willingly putting something above himself to humble himself. Sure. Uh, what, how would you respond with many of the political leaders today in the Western world still at least claiming on a surface level to put that same entity, and that's very interesting, isn't it, that 1,400 years later it's that same God that he's talking about. Our leader, for example, is a well-known Christian and he visits his Pentecostal church every Sunday by all accounts. So what is the difference when you say that this culture is extremely selfish when our leader is also still abiding by that same God? Because isn't that interesting? Because God, again, like money and all these other things, I suppose it's actually a fairly neutral object. And so it depends, I guess with you, with the cultural context. With the Pentecostal church, it is training you to say it's it's training their members basically that if you have a lot, it's it's so it's such a twentieth century late twentieth century interpretation of God. It's like the more money you make, the more successful you are. 
the more God likes you. God would make you rich if he liked you. Mm. God makes you successful if he likes you. So it's really enforcing deep into people. They're using that thing that is supposed to humble you and they're using it as a tool, I suppose, to sit there and be like, oh, I'm not being, I'm poor at the moment. God must hate me. Well, let me just think of ways to make more money, you know? So like that's that church. I suppose, again, it's just the the cultural aspects of what they're using God as a tool for. Sure. I, all the sects of Christianity are so vastly different. I mean, of all... It wasn't that long ago when, for you know, many centuries, Catholics and Protestants were at quite literally a war with each other. So it's hard to even just say that just because they're believing that same God that it's interpreted in even a slightly similar way. It's just... I can't see any good coming out of making yourself God. And that's how you would define the culture today? Don't you think? I can see where there may be aspects of that. Hmm. Like if you were to say... I would agree that it's a self-centered culture. Yeah. In that it purports to be for the underdog or the... uh, uh, again, loosely defined, oppressed classes in society. But the values they're espousing that will work in favor of those oppressed classes essentially are that they can live by whatever means they wish and there should not be any behavioral restrictions upon anyone, nor should there be any norms and everything should essentially, every cultural institution, every bastion of culture should essentially be demolished torn down without even thought of what may replace it. See, isn't that a bit... Now, but the reason... That's, that's a pretty fucked way to think about I, the world. I could not agree more. The, the, we have to then look at why that became so prominent, that culture. And people lost faith in the traditions and norms of the uh, previous culture. People lost faith in it. They only saw the restrictive nature of it. Something like gender roles or, you know, just having to take responsibility for yourself. These were just widely practiced things not that long ago, but people lost faith in it. And they are restrictive. They are harsh. And there are people who may fall through the cracks. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not trying to be in favor of going back a couple of decades to what things were, but Often these discussions fail to even mention what the actual benefits for those restrictions are. Hmm. No idea who's probably an accident. Who's doing this now? So I better just uh, keep talking. In your art, you know, you know what? Actually, when I was thinking about it, then what you're doing with your art, I think, is showing. You're showing the matrix mesh or crossroad between society and the individual. Yeah. It's that, that. it's that layer of the atmosphere. It's the one in between that. It's, it's, it's bigger than, that's a good way of putting this. 
I suppose they're sort of the organs of the human body. And it makes a lot of sense why you'd be looking at it, seeing as you interpret it as a young boy, that that's the way to look at the world. And now I think you're kind of just interested. Is, is this fair to say? Are you trying to weigh up the positives and negatives of each culture? That's definitely part of it. What's the other part? Um, like I say, I don't know. That's, a, that's such a loaded question. That could be all of it. But I, I don't know. That's something I'd have to really sit on and think about. I, I don't know what the, what the sort of core underpinning of why I create what I create is. I know I want to create it. I have a... Okay, so you know you very... have an urge to create cultural things. Yeah. So that's your main urge. So why, uh, let's go back with you. Why are you interested in history now so much? Do you think as you've been observing politics so deeply, you can see these patterns emerge throughout history and then you are interested because then that will give you an insight into how what the future entails and, and, and how politics today may play out. Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, fuck yeah. Look, th that's this whole new stand-up show, but... I think that the other thing is, yes, it's definitely that, but it's also, now that I look back at it, hero figures. I'm obsessed with Julius Caesar. I'm obsessed with Constantine the 11th. And you know what I, this is what I think is truly heroic, right? This is truly heroic fighting a losing battle and going down with the ship because it was right. You know, that is a recipe for tragedy. But I think that those people should be revered and uh, held up because I think that that's what people should aim to do. It's not like they completely lost, you know, like by making such a definite stand, there was concessions that were made that we still benefit from today in Julius Caesar's uh, example. And I think that that's it. That's, when I actually think about what I'm doing with politics, it's more... I get that there's all these like policy measures and you know it's 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 the ship. But I think that that's that's that nice crossover from self-help to society. It's kind of in a way I've sort of skipped your level. This is this is why like mostly when people talk about culture and stuff it just flies over my head. Like I I just never see that layer of the atmosphere. I see it. Well, self-help is, is culture. How? It's behavioural norms that you're instilling into an individual. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a modern Western version. It's a, it's a microcosm of a particular culture. It's just a new culture that has emerged within Western culture. Oh, as in like this is the type of person that we want to ideally build you up to because this is the cultural yeah. ideals. 
you true, know, true. There are certain ideals within okay, okay. Let, let's say this. It's culture generally is fairly invisible to me. I have an understanding yeah. that it exists. To me, it's kind of just like you go down the road, there's all these different types of cars. You look at the one that your car is most and that's the one that you notice the most, right? Culture to me is just like a Ford Ford laser. Like I see it around, but I don't take that much note of it. Wouldn't you say that the the your mechanism by defining who the hero is is based on a culture you aspire to? Yeah, fuck yeah. That's absolutely true. That's and true. Do you think then that culture itself brought you to that conclusion of what is heroic and virtuous or is it something that you individually decided upon? No, I would say that actually I came to the conclusion because the cultural conclusion would be to say that Caesar's the villain and Cicero's the hero. I have come to the conclusion that Caesar's the hero and Cicero's the villain. But your personal conclusion is is due to a sort of confluence of various cultural factors that have informed you throughout your life, wouldn't you say? And you're adding your extra tinge of individuality to that. But you're, you're standing on giant shoulders as a term you'd like to... Wouldn't, wouldn't, would you agree? Yes. Yes, I am. But I still think that there is, there is like, and again, this is the way that I see the world, but I, th- I, I really do think that there are things that are just, dude, you can go into the whole, uh, this is right and, and like who's to say some cultures that's right, some cultures that's wrong. Dude, I really do subscribe to the Sam Harris point of like, no, nah, there is things that are just objectively right and wrong. You know, there's points where you could just say, fuck you, uh, in, you know, in lieu of this environment or this subsect of people that live in housing commission or something like that, I've got the power to make a decision to improve their lives or I have the power to make their lives worse, but it's better for me. I don't think you get to hide behind, oh, well, everyone's just got different cultural values, you know, it's just like, no, you're just being a cunt. Yeah, I, you know? I, I, I'm not suggesting that kind of uh, postmodern approach to culture there, but I would say that there are different uh, parameters through which we can define what is an efficacious culture and what isn't because are you defining it by what is best for the particular individual, what is most liberating for that individual, what is going to give them the uh, uh, lowest degree of... of of stress and hardship in the short to medium term because they're not having to discipline themselves. They're not having to aspire to higher, albeit difficult ideals. Or do you take into account collective costs and how each little, uh, every time you tear down a cultural norm, there is a societal and a collective cost that everyone bears. Mm. And that's for me is, and and I think you can actually quantify that. I'm not trying to say that this is some namby-pamby abstract we can never fully understand what everyone's culture is there's a, there's a quantifiable way to say hey by improving the individual circumstances of a particular group within the within the context of a greater society you can still bear a cost to every other individual in that society i think you're fucking right i think you're right i think so take a very simplistic example is something like, uh, let's go back to restriction of various speech, even though a lot of this is just culturally restricted or large corporations potentially restricting speech and it's sort of done in a very circuitous way where it's not directly uh, broached as you cannot say this. But 
the aim for that, the, the, the virtuous ideal that the proponents of that particular worldview are aspiring to is that no one person should be made to feel bad over things that they either cannot control or that they have uh, previously been demeaned or oppressed for. Sure, and a lot of those things are also exist in the realm of the subjective, what is demeaning, what is oppressive. But let's just let's just accept that particular, that one parameter there. Okay, then everyone else bears a cost, albeit a minute cost compared to that large benefit for that given individual, but every other person in that society bears a, a minute cost of having to restrict their speech, even if it's to a very small degree, 0.0001%. But the point is, these all add up. These continually add up through across history, across time. And what you end up getting is just this continual uh, breakdown and, and sort of de denigration of cultural norms and cultural institutions. Yeah, but you know what you're getting as well? You are unintentionally getting a replacement with a new culture. That too. And it might not be... Uh, there are thought about exactly, there but they they come about. Yeah, because then I think you actually take human nature into that equation, and that we're all very tribal. We all do have a religious impulse and can think very abstractly, so we will inadvertently create new norms and new restrictions that will come with those norms. So by supposedly tearing down things that are harmful and 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 limiting for others you're actually just creating new limitations i'll tell you what that haven't been thought out properly fuck no i'll tell you what one thing that's definitely pervaded and did not exist 10 or 15 years ago is a true culture of fear don't you think in 2007 just in general the world was just a lot more optimistic yes but was that ignorance? So what? The 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 net result has been that I think everybody is, as you're pointing out, everyone's like much more scared to say anything. Anything that even remotely broaches human experience, people are starting to get scared of mentioning. I think it's like, in a way, mm. it's actually made, it's probably actually made conversations unintentionally more superficial. Uh, witch hunts are back in vogue. I, I truly do fucking think that film is so much worse in every way. You know what? Okay, I'll give you a good example. When I was in Adelaide, traditionally just to wind down, I'm just like, fuck it. You know, I'm, like you say when you're doing stand-up, that, that night it's just your brain kind of – it has that thing of just when you have sex or something where you're just like, ah, you know, I'm riding the rest of the day off. I won today, you mm -hmm. know. You have that. So usually I just sit down and whoever's I'm with, I'll just watch a movie or something, right? It was fucking interesting – that we just happenstance chose two movies that we haven't seen that we've heard about before and we were watching them. And they're both brilliant movies. Like Tom Cruise's Risky Business, mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, there is a reason that you've heard about it before. I think that this is the big uh, clue to movies. I think if you have heard about a movie before, you should probably watch it. Sure. There's a reason for it, right? Now, 
This is what's really interesting about Risky Business. It's a sick film, undeniably. The message is the message of the entire 80s. Money. The whole message is get money however you can. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the price or the consequence. You know, money talks. That's the fucking message, you know? And then the message, and then and then we're watching Rambo. I swear that came out in the 70s. I swear it did. might have been in the early 80s. But, like, it looked like it was from the 70s. And here's the first thing that you notice. Sylvester Stallone is an action hero actor. You know, he's an action hero actor. He's supposed to be a fucking idiot that just barges through walls, shoots guns, kicks people in the head. He had those moments, but then he has this scene at the end where he breaks down and starts crying about what he saw in Nam to like his the, the uh, surviving officer of his platoon and everyone else in his uh, platoon has died, right? And that was unbelievably well acted. And that's a fucking action hero back then in the 70s. In the 70s, there was more depth to an action film than there is to most films now. And it was also covering something serious. It was covering the Vietnam War and the ongoing effects of it. Now, obviously, it was from an American perspective and it was only concerned with American soldiers and how they had post-traumatic stress and everything like that. But the, 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 the 70s... It was clearly like before money took hold of Hollywood in that serious way that it has now, like the overarching value there was kind of just this critique of Vietnam, really. That's a serious issue and that's a mainstream film and it's basically got a hippie message. Basically, that's the 70s. The 80s, it moves to money. Now you look at films and every fucking film is basically designed to make you feel bad about how shit you are and how much of a victim someone else is. Yeah, well, films are definitely sort of a little indicator of the the cultural consciousness of the time. Don't you think? Don't you think? And I think that honestly, when you look at it now, I honestly do think that films are just really fucking dumb. There's your occasional film. And again, there's going to be all these film buffs here sitting there just being like, no, there's this really obscure Australian film. It's like, dude, it didn't fucking, you know, we're talking about things that are the zeitgeist, things that actually capture the last film that I actually remember that I was like, you know, okay, there's something like June or something. And it's like, yeah, that's a cool film because it's, it creates a mood. It's going for what Miss Love's going for. It's just this great mood. Yeah, I'm sure that all these fucking films have great messages to them. Uh, underlying message. Not really, though. Like, you can kind of guess what the message is. Like, Mad Max Fury Road. Sick film. What was the message? It was just like, men suck. Ooh, subversive. You know, like, they, they do have messages. and But also, like, Fury Road is not as intelligent as Rambo. It's a dumber film. It's a, it's a better feel. Like it captures your imagine, it captures you more, and you're just like, that is a fucking amazing ride. But in terms of what it's trying to convey, it's yeah. conveying a dumber message. Mm-hmm. Was that because of just the, the Hollywood producers seeking profit more than anything? I mean, it, I'm sure in the 70s and, and they were still looking to make money. 
it's a chicken and egg scenario. Is it the films that inform the zeitgeist of the populace or is it that there are certain new cultural aberrations that might be popping up and, and they're particularly pronounced in, say, the sort of cultural elites that are that are really uh, pushing the, the uh, stories within Hollywood and those are then what inform the pop- populace culturally. What, what, what comes first, do you think? It's more, most likely a combination of both, really. Most likely a combination of both, but this is the thing that scared me. I was watching maths today and there was this ad that came up and it was this woman that was from fucking some bumfuck university and she, she was just saying, did you know that 43% of companies don't even list social change as one of their priorities? I'm here to change that. Wrong. You are fucking evil. You are the... What you are doing is giving these corporations a look of doing something that is uh, of some social good but doesn't hurt their profits in the slightest. In fact, enhances their profits. So what does that mean? It means things like sponsoring a women's cricket team or some shit like that. Or it means... You know, we've got gay TMs. It's, it's, again, it's one of these like cultural shift things, right? Like these small little cultural things of just like, look at us, we care about this, which is then building up that culture more. So really, I think that what's happening now, especially because we've got the technology to do this stuff, and I've talked about this before, corporations do put entire uh, think tanks, I suppose, people in their corporate corporate world that try to give them this image of we're here for social change. Commonwealth Bank, classic example right. that I'm always using, right? PR Women's is. cricket team, yeah. we support gay marriage, all that kind of shit. Reality of the situation is they fund bulldozing some of the last virgin rainforests on earth, killing orangutans, displacing fucking some of the poorest people on earth like Cambodians and shit like that, right? They're an evil, evil company. But they spend a lot of money on the image that they're a good company, yeah. right? On really superficial social bullshitty right. things. So they say good things, but their actions don't back that up. But their actions don't back it up. And I think that I think that, that is what's happening now is that like I think the corporations have become so – there's so much inherent wisdom in psychology – in PR and marketing now, right? That it's become its own brain and it's able to manipulate culture. I think it can engineer culture now. And I think that we are seeing the fucking results of that. I think this, what we are currently in, is a manufactured culture. I don't think that it's sprung up naturally. Whereas with something like Rambo, for instance, I think that Rambo was America actually trying to grapple with itself of like, why the fuck did we go to that war? That's the difference, you know, and that would have bubbled up and then Hollywood would have just been like, yeah, we can make a buck out of this. Let's make a Rambo. Like, I think that's how that worked. Sure. But I think this is a lot more artificial than that. That's my theory anyway. And that's what really freaks me out about it. Like, that's why every time I ever look at culture now, this is the thing. If I was looking at culture the way that you're looking at it, it would be endlessly fascinating. But that comes from that comes from the perspective that culture is organic. But if culture's artificial, it's nothing to 
It's nothing to well, examine. It's 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 horrible. It's vapid. It can't. To me, I don't see any culture as being artificial. I if if it's true that these corporations have manufactured the given culture we live in today, or well, the powers that be, if you will, that that in itself is a culture that has sprung up organically, and that is sort of interlinked with the economic system, but also then that you can tie that into culture to how we got to that particular system. And I'm more interested in not so much, okay, sure, we can all see how like people are manipulated into thinking, wow, this is a virtuous thing to do because it said so in an ad. <laughs> but <sighs> how did we get to that point? What is the sort of greater ramifications of a culture like that? And where did it come from? What, what is the underlying... That's the surface-level culture. What's the underlying culture there? It's, the rest, it's again, it's the abolition of re, purportedly restrictive norms. So the female cricket team thing. Okay, that comes down to the norm that women don't play cricket because it's a man, men's thing, which, okay, there's some truth to that. And women should be free to play cricket. But was there sort of this just cabal of evil men that designed a given culture and said, okay, women are supposed to do this and men are supposed to do this and they're not allowed to do either? Or did that culture evolve through necessity and through something meaningful through which we, we could actually work together and, and bring as much benefit, meaning and purpose to our lives by specialising at various tasks because it made perfect sense to do so. Because historically, okay, most work would have been physical and it was also far more difficult to be a homemaker. And, and when you had a nuclear family, it made sense. The delegation of labour made actually quite perfect sense and it would have been harmful to actually go against that mm. because, the, because the, the necessity and the pressure on any given family unit would have been to be as productive as possible, you also probably had eight kids or something of, of, of that nature. And, and as a result, that becomes embedded into the culture. It becomes a cultural code that, hey, this is what men do, this is what women do. And there's no analysis of why that was actually beneficial. Now, many people would say, well, that today that isn't as necessary, but that's just looking at the practicality of the subject there. We're not actually looking at, well... Taking base aggregate physiological differences of just something like men and women. This is so focused on men and women. This can be extrapolated to any sort of group here. But, okay, what is going to procure the most meaning for each of those individual sexes on average on a collective level? Hmm. And how do you distill that in some sort of norm? And then how do you then uh, promulgate that effectively? Through story hmm. or through... Uh, well, yeah, parables and tales and, and, and sort of then it gets to the point where it's religion or philosophy. Mm, mm. But ultimately it comes down to what's practically beneficial in terms of people's behaviour. Mm. What is actually effective in the given environment we now live in? Mm. That is then coded into the norms of the day. And so it's, you need to analyze something like that very carefully before you just immediately tear, tear that down.
I mean, and that, so it that's is scary, uh, isn't it? You know, yes, you get this bastardized version of, you know, this is what this is where like people are scared, and you know, the police are really mean to the black community. When okay, analyze the statistics; they're actually not. And then, what do you suggest we do? Just abolish law enforcement. That is their suggestion. Defund the police. How about we do this? How about we do this? How about we have an area in every Western country? We have a little city. We can make it Melbourne. We can make it somewhere in Melbourne. All right, there's no police. Go fucking live there. You can mm. pay less taxes. Mm. Go. Li- I'll pay for you to go there. Mm. Mm. Go and fucking live there. But, like, we're not defunding the police. That is the most retarded shit I've ever fucking heard in my life. Mm. And it's, it's all, like, middle and upper class white women specifically... Mm. Who go to these protests mm. and and post these hashtags because mm. it makes them feel good, mm. like they're enacting change. Mm. And when you actually analyze the statistics of how many unarmed black people are unlawfully killed by police officers in, say, the US, or how many indigenous people are actually killed by police officers here here in Australia, mm. there's hardly even an imbalance. Especially when you account for crime, it's something like you're actually less likely to die if you're unarmed and black. Mm. But no. Everyone wants to give off the guise that they're virtuous and they care about oppressed minorities. And there's a lot of guilt that comes with that. And I really do think that's why other ethnic groups who are neither white or black actually have the most rational viewpoint when it comes to these things. That's why so many Latinos swung to Trump, particularly in areas that were decimated because of riots in 2020. Hmm. He actually went specifically to smaller towns that had a high... Latino population and said like law and order is important and mm. they love that mm. obviously they did they have the most to lose when there's lawlessness in the streets mm. so that's a particular that's an example where it's purely manufactured and again you're sort of looking at tearing down various sort of restrictions and 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 sort of institutions that are perceived to be harsh and and mean and lack compassion when you don't know what you're toying with here when you tear something like that down. Wait, 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 wait. Hang, what hang. world do you want to live in? If you want a world where women are actually safe and protected, well, I think you need some fucking police then. Mm. Because <laughs> otherwise, if it's just no police, then, well, actually, the people who are the physically strongest will actually have a huge advantage. Massive. And that's going to be men. Yeah. So think about this, this a bit more. Mm. Wait, hang on. Why does that anger you so much, though? Yeah, well, I just feel like I I think it's a it's a, it's a fair point because it, you can clearly it's not tell dude, it's not like I don't agree there, with anything in it. It's just like why is that the thing that makes you passionate? One, there's a what I said earlier. There's a there's a cultural restriction of what you can actually say about things like this, and I absolutely detest it. As soon as anyone says you can't say that, whether they say that directly, which is even worse, at least just say it directly. No, that's hurtful if you say that. No, that's going against the virtuous norm. That's going against what's morally accepted. You can't even explore the topic. Like, what are you, a child? You're, you're afraid to actually explore the topic. You're afraid to actually question the norms. What world are you living in there? Mm. Mm. You don't want to question your own narrative because you're too scared of, of acknowledging the fact that you may have been completely uh, taken down the wrong path by actually nefarious powers like what you're talking about, corporations and people who have vested interests in certain norms being eradicated. And I just, it it infuriates me because I, I think I feel, actually do feel kind of restricted in that sense, ironically enough, mm. because we can't explore the topic. 
I don't think it's because of my profession. I think it's just my physiology and the way I see view the world more than anything. So it may even be a certain attack on my reality when people are saying certain okay, so, things so what are off limits of discourse and debate. So what what you're getting, what you're actually getting angry at when you see when you hear someone say defund the police is it's the stu- if, if you, stupidity. If, is it the stupidity or is it that like if you express a counter view to defund the police, your morality is questioned. It's yeah. not an opinion. It's not. It's not even. Uh, well, I it's would at least discounted by those people. Exactly. Anything like that, and, and it probably you could maybe even argue. I'm actually feel like I'm not being heard. Again, ironically, not which is a lot of the things that the that particular side is yeah. in favour of here. But yeah, the view is not being respected. I'm not being heard, and also then I actually do get on my high horse a bit. It's like, who do you think you are? Do you think I haven't at least thought about this? Do you think I haven't at least looked into this? Mm. And then the whole racist element is just, that's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Why is that the tip of the iceberg? Because you think it's like it's way too simplistic? Way too simplistic and it actually harms almost all other races. It would probably harm white people the least if you defunded the police. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because who lives in low socioeconomic areas? Immigrants. See, this is the thing that's really interesting about... And, dude, I think a word that you said before is actually closer to it. What's the difference between culture and tribe? What really fucking is the difference? Very synonymous. It's kind of just like culture is the belief system of that tribe. Yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So, essentially, really, what... What happens is in those culture wars, you really are just you are like it's it's actually a really accurate term. It's a, it's a war it's of a, belief systems. It's a war, yeah. It's, it's a war of belief systems. Ideological war. It's an ideological war. See, this is the really interesting thing about you, though, is that like you you obviously as as you've realised and you fully acknowledge, you're inescapably part of a culture. Everyone is. Sure, everyone you is. have to be, right? Definitely is, yeah. It, what's really interesting to you, fuck, dude, you know what I think is making you angry? Correct me if I'm wrong. You're trying to understand other people's cultures and they're not. And they're like, and, and I think what you're actually getting angry at is you're just like, are you so fucking blind that you can't see that you're just like trapped in this little petri dish? That's definitely part of it. Uh, I think when you, I think. When you've analysed something like culture to a certain degree, you start to understand that. And again, this is going to sound like I'm articulating something that I would actually vehemently disagree with. But morality is very subjective. Not that it's just subjective, but that you, because of your need to belong to a certain tribe, you can be misled morally and you feel like what you are doing is eternally virtuous and the right way to act when it's actually a product of one, how you've been brought up and and what you feel most emotionally attached to more than anything. And unless you can sort of detach from that to a certain degree, the further you can detach from that, I think the better you can rationally analyze something like morality or culture. But 
to me, I, I think I observe things like that. And I'm like, you can't even, you're not even aware of the fact that you are essentially brainwashed. Yeah, okay. And you're, do you, would you go as far as to say, do you think the culture's the first layer of the brainwashing? So it really shows if you can't even see outside of that, then you're really fucked. It's a very primary layer at least, but I would, I would guess that it would be the first layer, yes. It'd have to be, wouldn't it? Because it's kind of just like that. The culture sort of is, as you're saying, like you're chucked in that culture. You get two siblings. You put one here, you put one there. They'll be completely different people. So it really does just show if you're chucked in that culture, that's you. Yeah. There would be certain likeness in that there, there are there are genetic factors at play, but how those genetic factors may manifest is entirely dependent on the culture. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. If you have a if you have a proclivity for um I don't know if you one of these people might have an addictive personality or you're uh, higher in neuroticism or whatever it may be, then throw those people into different cultures. That trait would stay the same. Although we don't, I mean, the, the environment could also amplify that trait. But if let's just say theoretically, there's a, just a purely genetic proclivity that you may have how that then manifests, but more importantly, how beneficial or harmful that manifestation is on an individual level for the collective is what culture will determine. So there's a given amount of people in a society with an, an, and a tribe or with a vast range of, of genetic proclivities and genetic dif basic differences, physiological differences, a, an effective culture will be able to harness the potential of all these differences into something meaningful and to something productive. Hmm. And that's where you actually can, in a very Darwinian way, look at something like monotheistic religion and that as a culture, why has that been so successful? Well, I'm sure you could write volumes of books on why, but the fact that it has been so successful, that the fact that it's lasted for thousands of years, and has continued to thrive, there's something to it. Mm. There must be something to it. Mm. Mm. And who are you to say as just a 25-year-old atheist, mm, you're just stupid? Mm. Well, yeah, sure, it can manifest in a very stupid way when you see people at a youth group acting like idiots, sure. But on a collective level, what are the norms that are being instilled into that individual when they're singing in the way they do? Because, like, yeah, on one level you can think that, but again, because of what I've been studying recently, you realize that Jesus Christ, Muhammad, by creating Islam, brought people that were desert tribes people that just lived off of fucking camel milk. And they made them basically masters of the universe. Like Europe trembled beneath their feet for hundreds of years. And it was fucking Muhammad. Like it was, it, it was Islam. It was, it was a belief system that was just put on people and then collected them together. And these were just nomadic tribal nobodies on the peripheries that they didn't even have. This is why they blindsided them because the Christians didn't even have a strategy for them because they were just like, they're just inconsequential people on the real outskirts of the universe, you know? Yeah. I mean, nothing has been more successful than the culture of any of those monotheistic religions over the past couple of millennia. Now, maybe you could argue that a, a culture of liberal democracy, I mean, that has various permutations, of course, but I suppose that the, com the combination of uh, 
a reasonable liberal democracy with without it a, a reasonable dip, liberal democracy without it divulging into something archaic or going so uh, fully fledged without any cultural protections and norms somewhere in the middle there with a moderate amount of that monotheistic religion seems to be quite effective for a society. It's a very, very shallow interpretation of the last couple of centuries, but it seems to trend that way. Yes, it does. And then who are we to say, well, that's harmful. Well, look what it's done for so many countries, for so many societies. It's been very, very, very helpful. You know what's really interesting is if you... If you actually think about it, and now I'm thinking about it as well, sometimes sometimes when you're talking about things, you, you do you do hit a nerve, obviously, because that's what a comedian does. Uh, it They kind of just reveal the truth, really. Or they try to, at the least, right? And you've definitely got that streak going through it, but it's not actually coming from... Very rarely... Say with me, for instance... With my filter, I always feel like my humor, and I feel like I get rewarded for this when I'm on stage as well, I get rewarded for my mean bitchy jokes. Like the audience doesn't like it when I when I do kind of like nice, easygoing jokes. It doesn't suit my personality. It doesn't suit the way that I see it. In my humor, it's, it's very punishing. My humor is very punishing. Your humor... Now that, and especially now that you're saying this as well, I mean, look, okay, yes, humor has to have a punishing element to it. That's an element of it. It depends if you're going to highlight it or not, right? You're actually going more in a way, which is actually really fucking ironic about it. And maybe that's actually where a lot of the, the uh, your, your passion on the issue is coming from when they're constantly saying like you have to tolerate other cultures i think you're seeing the irony in it because i think dude the way that you're speaking about it is kind of just like no you don't get it like i respect cultures a lot more than you do like i'm at least willing to look at them and observe them and shit like that like you're not you just think that your fucking culture is superior and again, it's like you're just so unaware of any other culture being correct in any other way because you can't even fucking see out of your culture. Because now that I think about it, like you are actually Maybe, yeah. at least observing other cultures. You're observing them. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people actually online, that's actually a really interesting differentiating point between your work and a lot of other people's work when they're doing... All right, so say let's look at like me, Isaac. I'm putting myself in a different category actually because I think that Isaac Butterfield has successfully found a culture, right? He has found Aussie culture and he reflects Aussie culture well, like Hmm. how they see the world. He's good at reflecting that. I think that it's the same with Frenchie. Their humour is very – and actually the same with the fucking boys, Max Mofo and Fat Count, right? Like their their podcast – is a reflection sort of of just internet culture. It's like very fucking Nintendo-y and like buying things off of Amazon and testing them and that kind of shit, right? Like it's internet-y as. Hmm. 
what separates yours? And I think I've unintentionally created a culture just, again, out of just like pure fucking belief. But like I think that you... I mean, you have for sure, yeah. I think that's happened. But I think with you, that's what's really interesting is what separates you from the rest of them is you're actually not pushing any culture. I mean, again... You can't ever separate can't, yourself no, from the culture. No, but you're, but right, you're yeah. attempting to do that. You're attempting to look at other people's cultures and all bring it into one thing, which actually makes a lot of sense why you're able to accumulate a yeah. big audience because you're able to step foot in that other culture. Yeah, but I'm also weird because in that, as soon as I feel like my, not just my audience, but what I'm uh, putting out into the ether is becoming... Uh, reflective of a certain culture or I'm becoming repetitive in some way, I immediately, I'll do everything to go against that. Yeah, you do I do that. I don't like to be boxed in in that sense. It might even be a bit selfish or narcissistic there, but you just, uh, as soon as I, I see certain comments like you're going down this path, you're going down this path or something along that line, it's not that I'm sort of taking that criticism on board. I'm like, oh my God, am I? I yeah, that to, one I hits have though. To avoid that. I have to I yes. have to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. Because yeah. to me it feels like I can't truly be as rational as I possibly can if I'm if I'm just speaking to a tribe. If I'm simply just if audience capture has occurred and I'm just simply saying what I'm expected to say. Yeah. You don't like the idea of preaching to the choir. That's true. I think you know what? Funnily enough, I think that's reflected in my merch sales i can never sell t-shirts throughout yeah. my entire tenure as a uh internet comedian i've sold maybe 20 because no t-shirts are like a tribal tag yeah they're a uniform they're a uniform yeah and i in a weird way i'm like oh i hate that i can't sell them but i'm also like i like that well actually I you like know what that. yeah if that's what you're good aiming you for buy those t- i mean buy them but good <laughs> if you know what it's I mean. true yeah it's actually that's actually really good because your whole life is trying to take the uniform off. Hmm. Whereas you, and it's all a about vain we're, struggle. We're creating a new. It's not that you've intentionally tried to create a tribe, but it's this is a movement. That's the feeling I get when I watch your videos. Yeah, this is a movement of people fighting for what's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is a sort of uniformity that comes with that. Yeah. And then I'm not trying to say uniformity is a bad thing in an, in and of itself, but I just try and avoid that. You know, it's always you can always say that. It's impossible to fully avoid. But you're – in fact, most of the guys that you just mentioned, that's what I get. Well, I don't necessarily get – with Isaac, I get a bit of that. This is a movement. In fact, this is – it's actually quite – it's a cultural movement. I think that's why I admire him so much. It's it's a sort of it is actually, it's very cultural, but it's also it's a new variation of what I don't think it's as simple as it's just Aussie culture. It's a sort of new variation of that. It's the it's the reincarnation of Aussie culture in the face of another culture that is demeaning and attacking it. Hmm. One more time. That's what I get. It's the reincarnation of Aussie culture in the face of a culture that is attacking it. So it's not. It's it, it's still yeah. It's Aussie culture, but it's 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 combative and it's saying no. This is who we are. 
fuck off with all these other norms that you're trying to impose onto us. Yes, but the thing is that what's interesting is what Isaac's tapped into is that that actually is the dominant culture in Australia. You can see it in his subscriber count, right? He has actually identified that the culture that is coming from, it really is just a really fucking pale imitation of American culture that they're trying to pass on to it, right? And that's what the mainstream media is trying to push here. And I think what he's identified, I I think basically because he's just from Newcastle, he's realized like that culture is skin deep. No, you look at it. His numbers go up. The project's numbers go down. No one likes that culture here. Tiny few enclaves in the inner city like it. But I think what he's actually properly identified is what you're saying is like that. that is there is a tide in Australia. Like there is a tsunami of Australians that don't want that. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting. But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of an identity. He's, he's being... He's being the, uh, he's kind of like the spokesperson for it. That's the way to put it. And that's actually what he's constantly trying to do. He's actually, if you listen to him, people always say his, his argument gets a bit old after a while. I don't see that when I look at his content. I actually see him just getting more and more nuanced in that argument. Yeah, well, that's invariably going to happen with anyone if they're truly committed to the message they're articulating, because you have to be. Yes. Because then the arguments against you will become more and more nuanced. nuanced. And you have yes. to then fight against that. It's a red queen thing. But like, yeah, with yours, it's really interesting thinking that that's your goal. What's your goal? I'm telling you, man. Like, to if get I get to the truth, uh, like, isn't it? Huh? To get to the truth, that's something you've always been very passionate about. I've always been trying to get, yeah. I've, I've been, yes, to get to the truth, but like, dude, right and wrong. That's really. Again, it's like it's it's not the way you actually see the world. The thing that you hate. I mean, it peeves me as well, as well, right? But you really hate. Closed offness, I suppose. Closed offness in your way of thinking. Yeah. Like someone who pr- refuses to see the other perspective. I don't know. That's what I'm getting from the the anger you expressed when it came to the cop thing. I could be wrong about it. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like they're just refusing. Yeah. They're refusing to even, as you're saying, like they're refusing to acknowledge it. And well, they're immediate, you're immediately bad if you think otherwise. It's not, a refu- it's not just a refusal of acknowledgement there. It's that there is an... In- inadvertent moral there's a there's a sanctimony that's coming with that as well and that i i just can't have uh, yes but maybe i need to work on that and not be so triggered but it's it's infuriating yeah sanctimony is infuriating but sanctimony i think is bred in ignorance yes because there's a because it's the antithesis to well being humble isn't it yes they're polar opposites, and yes, yes, because essentially it's yeah. The, the the humble thing is I don't have all the answers, and sanctimonious is I have all the answers. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. And at the core of it, that's that's actually a major tenet of of a lot of the monotheistic religions. I know it's been bastardized in in various forms, such as 
Pentecostal preaching, which is there's nothing humble about that. Mm. But at the core of it, it's all about be humble and humility. And it, I'm telling you, you that's don't know what, all the answers. You can see exactly in that book. It is that it's there's something greater than you. Yes. And that's something that's, as we were saying at the beginning of this, I think it's lost in our society. I really do. <laughs> I think I said this on a few podcasts ago, but I think tall poppy syndrome is just a very ochre, working class, blue collar variation of Christian humility. The Aussie rendition of that, which is you don't, you fucking don't get too big for your boots, cunt. Fucking settle down. Sure, there are definite restrictions that come with that. It's not there's positives and negatives to everything. See, I think very differently to you. I, I can't see the world in a binary way where there are heroes and villains, and there's a good and bad. I always think I think there's a more good and a more bad. If that makes sense. So I could never say, hey, something like tall poppy syndrome is either just inherently good or inherently bad. Okay, well, what is it? It's a it's it's a sort of less. It's an anti-pretentious variation of humility. Hmm. Where I, I guess a more traditional ethic would be humble yourself and uh, have faith in a in a in a whether it's a higher power or a greater good or, or or something higher than yourself. And just as a sort of bare bones concept, faith can be something like collect a, a sort of collective manifestation of a self fulfilling prophecy. Because, like in self help, you can simply start suggesting a certain narrative about yourself to yourself, and that will eventually conceptualize. If you truly keep telling that to yourself, and in a way, in a way, that's a very sort of individualistic, simplistic form of faith. Mm. Fuck, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think tall poppy syndrome is just a very... It's 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 exactly what you would expect from a country like Australia. And I think Australian culture, a, a really amazing thing about Australian culture, that podcast we did two years ago where we, where we were saying what is Australian culture... Australian culture is is ensuring other cultures stay humble. Mm. And it's done in a very, uh, mm. you know, blue collar and mm. many would say boorish way. Mm. But how else could it be done? Because it's an antidote to sanctimony in many ways. <sighs> this is my culture and it's the right culture. Go fuck yourself, cunt. I love that. I actually yeah. love it's grown yeah. on me yeah. more than anything in the last just very recently actually but sure yeah. it's not something I'd personally necessarily subscribe to but that's fucking true man that that is why collectively it will do wonders for that given society man it's it's really why that hasn't really taken a foothold in Australia well, it is. That 2016 culture. Yes, it's taken a foothold. I, Not to the same For degree. that, I can't imagine it taking it to the same degree as the US ever. Hmm. There really is just something at the... Yeah, there's, there's a root at the Australian culture of just taking the piss out of anything. And that... You're right. It's a good fucking defense system. 
It's a great defense system. Yeah, and then you have to analyze the negatives of it too, which is that it can be a hindrance for uh, excel- a hindrance against excellence. But well, having, definitely that. having said that, the culture that it's fighting against right now in in this sort of modern culture war, if you will, also doesn't exactly ascribe to excellence. In fact, its excellence is found in tearing down as much excellence as possible. Mm. And is it interesting that the Australian culture can tear it down? Exactly. So there's actually more excellence, at least, that comes with Australian culture. Mm. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, man, if China invaded, maybe we would become communists. At least there'd be a culture of excellence. (laughs) But... but, um, Australian culture has forms of excellence in other areas. I suppose maybe that can be drawn down to that can come from, say, the uh, the background of where a lot of the settlers came from, and and the blue collar nature of the sort of uh, the nascent blue collar cultural underpinnings of the country, where something like sport. Australians are obsessed with excellence in sport. Australians are actually are obsessed in excellence when it comes to physical labour. Mm. Do the do the work, can't like put in, like don't don't slack off. Mm. Having said that, then there's also chakasiki and things like that. But that mm. that I think is like a that's a fight against authority. Mm. At, yeah, we love chucking a sicky. Well, mm. What do you do? What where does that come from? That comes from. Maintaining a culture that doesn't allow a boss to become tyrannical. Mm. And then that boss can then maybe be just a sort of a symbol for just authority at large. And so you don't want a cultural authority or a professional authority to become tyrannical. And the way to do that is have a culture that celebrates something and it's sort of it's simplified and distilled into the the Something as simple as yeah, chakasiki cunt. But that is actually very in in the grand scheme of things, it's effective. Dude, it's fucking cool. Like again, because I've just been reading about this, Byzantine society, culturally what they looked up to was priests and soldiers. And I think that that's like unbelievably noble as things to aspire to. Those were the most sought-after positions. Those were the positions of authority. It's just like, okay, merchants and traders existed. They were rich, but they were looked down on. Because yeah. it was seen as something fucking evil, just making money off of something that has subjective value. Meanwhile, in Venice, this is where I think I'm coming into my next stand-up show, actually, is like I do really see Venice as the corrupting cancer cell of the West because – traders and merchants because it was a trading and merchant town that's what was revered by their culture traders and merchants were at the top of the fucking social pyramid there when you come to australia dude it's it's the low sports stars yes sports stars yes it's a soldier essentially when you say it's 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 like a modern look no and you know i'm sure there's people in the military that probably don't like that but what where i think i would say uh the aspiration of, uh, sorry, the the reverence of, of, of soldiers and priests comes from is that one of them embodies physical excellence and one of them embodies mental excellence. It's a combination of both, particularly a soldier. They have, they can't be dumb to be a general, but ultimately we're talking about 
Dude, I think they're both kind of spiritual in a way because it's like, and that's what's coming in that book. It's like, because it was in such a precarious position constantly throughout its existence. It was just on two permanent fronts. If you're a soldier, you're really giving up your life for the empire, right? So that's what was revered there. And then with priests, spiritual. It's it's all based upon this kind of like there's something we're doing this for a higher purpose. I think that's what was at the core of it. That's what I think is so beautiful about that society. When it comes to Australia, yeah, okay, there's that Anzac spirit. There's the, there's the sports star spirit. Dude, we also really revere crims and like bums. Not like homeless bums, but like losers. Mm. Like we like losers. And I think that's actually a really good way of – because. When, the other thing that like is is interesting about culture and at the same time frustrating is like it's it's a bit it's, good. it's a bit nebulous. Yeah, and there's always a yin and yang with something like that. Okay, if you celebrate criminality, well, there's an obvious negative to that. But the positive of that is that well, I've read a, I heard something not that long ago where uh, Americans if they fall to the bottom of the social hierarchy, are far more likely to commit suicide mm. because they really feel like they haven't... Because the narrative there is like if you work hard enough, you can make it. So they invariably feel like they haven't worked hard enough and they're perceived as useless by their tribe. Mm. Whereas I guess, yeah, if you get the celebration of criminals and the lower and uh, the lower rungs of society, what you do is you you still maintain a sense of self-esteem within those echelons of society and then overall you get a uh, less inequality and, and you sort of maybe have a bit more of a sense of community and to get and, and kinship. But again, it, it sort of does contribute to that negative aspect of tall poppy syndrome, which is people may feel restricted in their ability to achieve excellence because, oh, what are you th- f- fucking, what are you fucking gay actually trying? Yes. And that's that's yes. a really harmful part of that same culture. But I can't help but feel it as well. Like it's, 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 you are kind of a product of it. I'm telling you, that's why Spanion is kind of just this social media presence that shot up out of nowhere. It's because he's a crim. And like as an Aussie, you see a crim and you're just like, what a fucking king. You know, but also they have to have a gift of the gap. They have to have something. Dude, Australians really like people that are in lower positions than them that are funny. That's they kind of like sure. mascots, don't they? That's what they like. They like mascots. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and Americans definitely are always looking up. Yeah, down is bad for them. Down for us. I swear to God, we're always just like, legend. What a fucking king. The guy that's like, you know, drunk in the gutter next to the the the, the pub. You watch how many people go past him and take a photo with him in Australia. Just being like, yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> we love it. I don't know, man. I, I think that maybe... Yeah, if they're, if they're affable and, and friendly, then yeah, then they definitely build a... They can build rapport with their within their community, but uh, if they're an abrasive drunk, no, no one likes that. No, of course not. But it's yes, it's it's that element. It's it's like you have to be a funny low life. 
Australians like funny low lives. And it's permeated through our culture because I think that that's the way... I honestly think that's what Australians are kind of... They're kind of just... They're a bit stupid. They like having a laugh. These are all elements of Australia that, like, you do get a sense of if you go live somewhere else and then come back here. Hmm. You realise, yeah, that is uniquely Australian. And so I suppose that's the whole thing of just, like, dude, sanctimoniousness really pisses us off. Really pisses us off. Definitely. Puritanism on either side of the cultural scale. But Americans... It'll be very hard for it to take hold here. I mean, then again, you look, you can see the with increased immigration, and we are still a very, relatively speaking, a nascent country in terms of the, you know, since the European settlers, and it's still evolving. It's still... It's still prone to vast changes, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Due to demographic changes and due to economic changes and due to political changes and just changes of the global order, I think there's going to be a major transformation in the culture and, and the psyche of Australia. Mm. If it even exists as a country in 30 or 40 years, who the hell knows? But mm-hmm. it has to. It can't exist like this forever. In an increasingly competitive global neoliberal system, it can't exist as this affable, like, you know, working class paradise. And it's definitely changed in my lifetime. As I was saying at the beginning of this podcast, that's true. But it's interesting to see the culture always does have a legacy. Yeah, yeah. And it and it and it's self-perpetuating. It's kind of almost indelible it's it's certain things that just kind of get into your bones and that's it definitely Mm. to conclude this one what do you think is important about what the the core of any given person's artistic essence I, i i honestly do think that it's a window to the soul that's what I think is really interesting about it is like you get you get closer to what you are as a person the output of what you are able to produce truly becomes awe inspiring I was just thinking about it with this show because I was really thinking about why is this show a cut above the others that I've done and I think it's that I think it was because I showed a deep piece of myself there. And it was accumulation of just serendipitous things that sort of happened that year that combined together to create that. And as a result of that, I think I've produced something truly special. I, I, I'm, it's actually, I think... There's a few things that I look back at and I'm very proud of producing, right? But this, I think, is the piece of work that I am most proud of because I think that it's something that's just like... In fact, uh, this is the other thing that people were saying as well after it. They were just like, you know, 
only you could have made that. If you're getting that response when you're doing art, only you could have made that. That means that you've really put your essence into that. That's distinctly you that you've imprinted onto it. And as a result of doing that, I think anyway, you've actually made a piece of You know, like you're aiming for those kind of like Tolstoy kind of works. You know, you're aiming for something that's that's permanently impressed there than had like a greater meaning or something. And I think that that's the only way. The only thing is like I think I've gotten closer to it every time. Like the first slideshow that I did of the John Howard one, it was kind of just Logos. Then the next one I think I had like a bit of um, ethos which is just like, you know, the ethics and, you know, uh, philosophy of it. And this one was pathos. Like there was, there was deep emotion in this one as well. And when you're able to combine those three things together, you're able to make really, really powerful art. That's why I think it's really important for you to just ask yourself the question, what's your art? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you think art is? How are you actually expressing art? If you at least know the map, you're able to draw more of that out of you. And again, I go back to the man one. You were obviously thinking about the man one for a long time. There was a piece of you in that, that was a deeper, there was, there was something deeper in you that came out of that. And it was, again, one of those things of just like, It was distinctly Neil. And like what I was saying at the beginning of this, everything that you create is distinctly Neil, but that was like a deeper part of Neil that was there. You know, that's why I think it's really important anyway. And I think that it's really interesting to hear you kind of just laying out the bare bones of what's like the the drive behind what you're doing. I think it's interesting. It's very interesting. Actually reminds me of something. I'll I'll end on this one, but uh when you were getting lampooned on social media, I wrote something in an Instagram story saying, Okay, uh why is it that a certain culture is off limits of one satire and also ability to analyze and so that's essentially what you're doing as a comedian, right? You, mm. If you, if you, if one given culture is is off limits, then no, no, no. Then I'm really going to go hard on that one. Mm. People can see it in the way I've been just doing a lot of Muslim jokes. But mm. to be fair, I don't think that's as uh, sacred as it once was, and I might move on from that. But mm. Mm. as soon as something becomes sacred, I immediately want to become an iconoclast, mm. and. Something said. I was saying something about how, well, it's it's actually ridiculous to say that you could, it's, it's off limits to make fun of or satirize indi- or even question indigenous culture, and someone, because I was saying why is it that you know culture is? I was saying I was differentiating between race and culture. Race is something that we cannot control. It's just what we're. It's our genetic design, if you will, and so it it is actually ludicrous to discriminate discriminate based on that. Hmm. But culture is a set of behaviors and norms relative to a certain tribe. You should be questioning that. It ultimately should be a buffet. You should be analyzing this is the environment I live in. This is what I think the environment will be. Hmm. Let me pick and choose what culture is go- I'm going to 
I'm going to accept that will make my future self best suited to that future environment. Mm. And anyone who just sits there thinking, this is just my culture, this is just how I live, you're an idiot. Yeah. That's, that's really are. dumb. Yeah. That, that's really closed-minded. Yeah. And for, every, for attacking everyone else, saying you're closed-minded, no. That's the most closed-minded thing you can possibly do, to never question the norms that you were brought up in. Yeah. But anyway, someone basically yeah. said, hey, man, you know, <laughs> this culture, indigenous culture is not just a set of behaviours and norms, it's a way of life. And I'm like, that's what a... That's yes, what a, that's, you fucking idiot. That's, that's, what, that's what a set of behaviours and norms yes. is. <laughs> but yeah, that probably epitomised my uh, interpretation of culture and... It's a new cultural element. Good one to. It's end a new on. cult. Well, it fucking is. And it's a new culture, actually protecting, putting certain cultures on a pedestal and and protecting them is actually a culture in itself. It, it is a culture, and that's the really interesting thing about it. Is as you're saying, people can't step back and realise. Yeah, I'm part of that culture. That's the thing that's infuriating about it, because like their responses, as you're just showing are idiotic, which means that they're just not examining it at all. They've got some emotional response which is instilled to them by their culture. They wouldn't have that emotional response in a different culture. Mm, mm. And every culture has sacred cows. Well, for instance, okay, here's one. In Australia, you can make fun of black people. In America, you cannot make fun of black people. In America, you could make fun of Aboriginals. Here, you can't make fun of Aboriginals. That's because there's emotional baggage to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, again, it's 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 actually the culture that's informing you of your emotions. Fuck! It is fucking powerful. It's amazingly powerful. Very powerful. And actually, the next podcast I want to delve deep into what I believe is a a, is a is a power vacuum that's about to occur in terms of media. But I do think media is actually the most powerful force in instilling and shaping the culture of a given tribe or society and what may happen within that power vacuum and how it could potentially be cannibalized. Hmm. So stay tuned for that one next week, guys. Um, Jordan's doing shows all over the place. Go to his website. I'm in Sydney every week, Melbourne every month, Newcastle every month, and... Uh, crushorganics.com use code Neil 40% off yeah see you next time see you gang